All right, so today's sermon uh, is we're, we're continuing through the book of Ephesians, four, uh, chapters 4 and 5. Uh, the, the putting off and putting on passages, this is a section where Paul um, talks about who we are not in Christ, but, and rather who we are to be and what we are to do. And it's kind of the basic outline of each of the sermons. If you noticed, it's, uh, it's basically three points. Who we aren't, who we are, and what we do. And I chose this early on um, after talking with your, your elders, and um, they gave me free reign to choose my passages, but it just felt like this was, this is very encouraging and instructive for especially young church, because you don't want to make the same mistakes that other churches have made over the years, we all make, but it's going back to the foundations of who we are in Christ, who we are to be. So when you're looking at who you want to be as a church, this is what you can keep in mind that for all believers are to be. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. The context, that's the context for a passage. So this passage is uh, the one we've looked at for the last few weeks. See the context, but the actual passage today is uh, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, which is in, in dark, bold, bold print there. Please stand for the, hearing, uh, the reading of God's Word. And Lord, we do pray as uh, Samari prayed that you would continue to bless our time and, and Bless the preaching and teaching and hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Here ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. I've got a lot of favorite quotes from Martin Luther. I'm just going to read one more. Uh, I guess we haven't really done many quotes from him himself. Uh, I'm going to have two today in this sermon. One is I like because... Uh, it's one of the ones he talks about drinking beer. Uh, I was raised Lutheran. Beer drinking was always part of the, the heritage of, of, of Lutheran drinking. Uh, I mean, Lutheran church. Um, when I went to uh, Dallas Seminary, uh, I kind of broke away from the Lutheran church, uh, went to more of a Baptistic ser- uh, cemetery. Se- oh, boy. <laughs> seminary. We used to call it a cemetery. A seminary, and where there was, there was no drinking, uh, and they kind of frowned on it. Uh, and then I end up coming back to Westminster Seminary in California, and we had a lot of Presbyterian influences there, and I end up joining the, the Presbyterian Church. 
And uh, I was told, uh, uh, and I, by the way, I enjoyed the fact we could actually drink again. Uh, a little more, uh, Presbyterians are more kind of Scotch oriented, if you know that from I'm Scotland, they're that kind of Scotch, but also Scotch. In fact, uh, I was told that the Presbyterian uh, pastor's favorite, favorite verses, Scottish Presbyterian, fav, Presbyterian pastor's favorite verses were, our verse was, uh, wherever three or four are gathered, there's a fifth. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, always, always enjoyed the the the, the fruits of, of uh, the. Is is the Psalm 104 said, uh, he's given wine to gladden the hearts of men. Uh, it was a gift from God. So as long as we use it properly, Martin Luther used it properly, and he would never shy away from it. This is one thing he he talked about in in the process of. The, of what we now call the Reformation, of reforming the, the church. Uh, he, he wanted to kind of tweak the church. He really didn't plan to start a new movement, a new uh, Lutheran church, a, a new uh, a Protestant Reformation. <clears throat> but he did want to reform the church. and and But he didn't want to do it the way that the Catholic Church had, had done it up till then. And that was, everything was pretty much by force. You must do this. You must do this. Everything was kind of a big looming um, a, 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 a hammer over everyone. That if you didn't do what was right, you, you would you'd go to hell or you'd spend all this time in purgatory. And he had grabbed a hold of the grace of God uh, in, in his own life. And it was by the reading of the word of God that he came to grips with that. And he began to see that it wasn't by, by works, but it was by faith alone in Jesus Christ, by the free gift of God. And he wanted others to hear that. So that's where he started with these 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door on October 31st. And, and this is what he says about that time. Because he was a monk, by the way. He was a, 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 a we'd call an elder in the church, a, a pastor in the church. And he could have kind of pushed people and, and, and kind of forced them to, to look at the Word of God and to... To, to believe what he believed. But this is what he says. <clears throat> I'm talking about the, about, about the truth. He says, In short, I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force. For faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I imposed indulgences in all the papists, the, the, the popes, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. So the more I reflect on this passage where I went to because I was encouraged by the beer drinking, I want to go drink that Wittenberg beer at some point, it was really about the word. It was really about... What God can do through us, not what we do, and that's what this passage really is talking about. This whole, this whole series of passages, when we're dealing with with each other, it takes a look at what we do that is wrong and what we should do that is right. How we treat people and how we 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 weaken the church, how we hurt the church, how we hurt others in our relationships with others, and what we really need to do to get get back on the right track and really ultimately the the payoff is it's the word of God working in people's hearts first of all in our hearts and others and so that's why we go to this passage 
but it's also what I want us to see about this, this particular passage, because often when we come to a passage like this, we look at just chapter, um, I mean verse, chapter 4, verse 29, uh, and we look at the, the putting off, of, as Paul calls it, the putting off the bad behavior and the putting on the right behavior, and we look just at the behavior itself. But this passage gets us beyond the behavior. It's not just we need to be better people. It's we need to be more dependent people on God. And, and I'll, I'll give you the bottom line here. It's on the, on the, the end of your handout there. Um, it's, it's where to, to well, let, let me look at the, the quick, the quick uh, at the end of each section. First of all, uh, we are not to, well, let, me, or let me read that first. Uh, let, no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good at building up as it fits the occasion that may give grace to hear. So the first thing we're to look at is we're not to tear others down with our speech because that is not who we are as redeemed people of God. The second is we are to be thoughtful when we speak and choose words carefully for the good of others. All for the good of others. And thirdly, we are to look for God for a Holy Spirit-driven heart change for, in ourselves to continually become more like Christ and so we can bring God's redemptive grace to others. That's what the Reformation is all about. That's what this sermon is about. That's what our whole lives are to be about. So the first thing we want to look at is who we aren't. Now Paul says something interesting. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupting is the word that means to, to, to something that would cause putrefaction um, to um, it, it, uh, it makes something rotten or, or, or uh, uh, decaying. It's like a, 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 a piece of fruit that you've come across that is so decayed, it smells, it stinks, it's no longer any good. Or a rotten uh, uh, animal that's died. It's, it's, it's a word, and the way he says it is that our words can lead to that in, in relationships. And, and he's, he's, he's expanding it. It, it doesn't kind of... L- l- stop there. In, in fact, sometimes we'll look at that passage and, and think about how we talk in, in the way of, of, of bad jokes or swearing. And there's passages in the scripture that talk about that. No longer letting the course jesting among you, but only that is fitting for saints. You know, it's, we are to watch carefully the words we talk about. He's going deeper than that. He's talking about things that hurt relationships, that destroy churches, and prevent people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ or seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, the, the, the effects it has on our lives, because we put them off with our words. And he goes beyond that, and he says in verse 31, that 31 to 32 kind of expands on all this. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. It's those kind of words. It's angry words. It's slanderous words. It's words that bite. It's words that, that, that turn the knife. It's words that push people off that he's concerned about. Now, if you think about this, this whole section here, we've said this before, it's kind of, it's kind of looking at the Ten Commandments in, in, in many respects and, and expounding on them as Christ kind of expounded on the, didn't kind of, he expounded on the Ten Commandments. He, he got behind the meaning of the Ten Commandments. When Paul says, "No, let let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths," 
what commandment comes to mind for you? Can you think of one that would come to mind? I think there's one kind of obvious. Take the Lord's name in vain. Take the Lord's name in vain. Okay, that's all right. Good. I hadn't even thought about that one. That's that's that is this is the swearing part of it. A little later, he talks about thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, right? That's slander. He talks about later. But there's one that's looming again over all this, and it's <laughs> it's the passage. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because Carl's shaking his head at all the noise in the background. I don't um, even hear it. I know. I'm yeah. yeah. Um, like white noise. Yeah, white noise. <laughs> uh, and it's the pass. It's the it's the command. Thou shalt not murder. Because that's what corrupting talk does. It murders relationships. Hatred, as Paul talks about, and anger and clamor and all those things that that cause us to, to dislike people and push people off, that's a form of murder. Well, you don't believe me, just remember what Jesus said. He who hates his brother is a murderer. You're hurting relationships. And that's what Paul is, is getting at. We are not to be those kind of people. Why? Because that's not who we are in Christ. He says we are those who instead learned Christ. And, what, and when he says learned Christ, it's, it's, it's an interesting phrase because he could have said those who come to Christ or those who become Christians. But he's saying it's more than that. When you become a Christian, you are you are learning about Christ and who He is, and you are becoming like Him. The Holy Spirit is so at work in your life that you are being transformed into His image. You're learning Him in such a deep way. You really are a disciple. You're becoming like the Master. He says, that's not who you are. You haven't learned Christ. And we think about the things that Christ said, or the things that, and if you think of all the things how Christ talked to people, He was very, very specific, very gentle. He, he wasn't fighting. He, he, he was Now, when he talked to the Pharisees, at times he would, he would rebuke them. But when he was talking to people who were searching, and even people who were kind of against him, or, 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 or were hesitant, he, he was inviting. He, he chose his words carefully. And the, the Matthew says about him... Um, in verse 12... Uh, Matthew 12, 20, he says, uh, he looks at Psalm uh, Psalm 69 and says, uh, he quotes this, and he says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He, he found hurting people and, 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 and people that were against him, people that were antagonistic, and he didn't hurt them. He didn't repay evil for evil. He repay, repay, repay evil with grace and kindness. That's who we are. So if those things, the, the wrath, bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and murder aren't who we are, if we didn't learn that from Christ or learn Christ in that way, where did we learn it? It's not what we learned in our former manner of life. It's who we learned. Who is behind, behind all this? Well, Christ, we mentioned this last weekend, pulls the curtains back to give us a, an ex, a, a, a peek of who's behind all of this. Who's the ultimate one that destroys? And, and he mentions in John 10, verse 10, talking about, really talking about the, 
Uh, well, let me read the passage. He says, the thief comes only to steal and, steal and kill and destroy. Uh, but then he says, uh, after that, um, that he, he is not that way. Uh, he, he came that he might, they may have life and have it abundantly. And he's contrasting himself with the Pharisees at that time, the, the leaders of Israel, uh, who were to be the true shepherds of the sheep, and they weren't. They were those who were actually hurting the sheep. But he, he, and he says it in a way that we know there's something behind it, and he's pointing to the one behind it, and that is Satan. He's the one. He's the one who tries to steal from God, as we looked at before. He's the great thief. He comes to, but he comes to kill and rob and destroy. And you see that looming over this entire passage in a, in, in, that we read today. It's this one, pa- this one verse, verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. That is not just there talking about letting the sun go, don't let the sun go down in your anger. That really is kind of helping drive this whole passage to show us what we're doing if we haven't learned Christ and if we're not putting on Christ, who are we putting on? It's not what we're putting on. It's not the what behavior we're putting on. It's who we're putting on. What, what, what the original clothing that we're wearing? Who, who made that clothing? And it's the devil. He's the one who originated all this. And now, as usual... We're going back to Genesis, right? We always, I always seem to go back to Genesis and talk about these things to see how this developed in the beginning. But I'm going to do something. I'm going to go into parentheses in Genesis chapter 2. And there's a section that, we, that, that really has been kind of inserted in, in there later on in, in two passages. Um, in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. I always remember this. is Isaiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah 14 and double that, Ezekiel 28. Those are passages that give us a, a, a behind the scenes of, of who Satan is and what he's controlling. And, and the reason I bring this up is because Jesus is what Jesus did in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in John, um, he has done earlier when as he wrote the scriptures through the Holy Spirit, uh, he and, and, and he was, he's the living word of God, so it, it's, he was the one who superintended the, the prophets, the means of the Holy Spirit. He takes a couple of rulers and shows their behavior and what's behind their behavior. One is the king of Babylon, and one is the, the, the king of, of Tyre. And I'm going to take the, the second one first, the, the Ezekiel 28, and we're going to look at the king of Tyre, who was a, a, a despotic ruler, and he set himself up. He was actually a, a privileged by God. He was raised up by God in, 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 a, in a, a, way, a place of honor and glory. And he took on God, tried to take on God's glory for himself, and God judged him for that. But in, in really, as he's speaking about it, we begin to realize, as he pulls back the curtain, who's behind it all, and it's the great, great is Satan. And the reason I say it's inserted in Genesis 2 somewhere is because I believe it is really showing us what, it's answering that question, what happened at, before the fall? Where'd Satan come from? Who is he? And... and was he on the scene before the Garden of Eden, or was he in the Garden of Eden? Was he? He must have been there before Adam and Eve fell. This gives us a uh, a glimpse, and he says this in Ezekiel twenty-eight, verse twelve. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now we hear him speaking about Satan. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. 
every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of the fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. He is nothing more than a creation of God, but he was this, the pinnacle of God's creation. He was the, the lead angel. He was the, the guardian cherub. A cherub was the, the, the angel, the warrior angel. He was the chief of God's warrior angels. He was in all his majesty and all his splendor. He was, he was the very reflection of God's beauty in creation. And that wasn't enough for him. Um, Isaiah talks about the desire that he has had to place himself above God to be God himself. But we're continuing in Ezekiel, and he says, "You were blameless in your ways in the days from the you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, a guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire." Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. And we see in Isaiah as well that he sweeps a bunch of the angels with him. He, he destroys, he tries to destroy anything he can. You've heard that expression. You know, if I go down, you're going down with me. Well, that's his attitude. If he's going down, he's going to take everything of God's that he can with him. And that is the 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 ball field that we're playing in, so to speak. That is the, the game that's being played by him is to destroy everything of God. Everything that God has built up, he's to, he wants to destroy. And every time we put on anger and malice and wrath and, 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 and envy and all the... Um, um, anytime we, we steal, um, anytime we... we try to take glory for ourselves from others uh, anytime we are hurtful in our, in our thoughts and in our actions we're, we're wearing his clothing we're, we're doing his bidding and that's why it's so important to understand when Paul says that is not who you are that we need to embrace that we need to understand that that isn't who we are we're redeemed we're different yes we struggle with that nature as Paul says but but we don't have to as much as we do. We will always struggle with it, but there is something different for us that's been given to us. And because we're redeemed, we're not to tear others down with our speech or our actions, but what we're to do instead is to build up. Paul goes on to say, when he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but he says, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to hear. Who we aren't are those who speak or to speak only what is good for building up. Jesus didn't come to steal and destroy. He came to, to give, to build up. He came to save. Romans 5 or 15, 1 to 3 points to this and says, Paul says, 
we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You read that, it's kind of odd. That doesn't quite make sense. It seems like a non sequitur. But there's something else going on there. Paul is quoting from Psalm 69.9 there. And this is the entire quote. For the zeal of your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. He's pointing us. Anytime Paul quotes a portion of a passage in the Old Testament, he really wants us to go to the context. And the context there is Christ was zealous for the building up of God's house. Christ took a look at what they were doing in the temple and and looked at it and saw that they were like later on in in uh, Luther's day, they were they were they were selling things. They were selling religion. They were they were they were they were selling sacrifices. They were making money of, uh, off those who would come in to to offer sacrifices. And they were de- 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 defame, defaming, de- profaning, and defacing the house of God. And so he cleared it. But he points out later on that the house of God is really going to be him and all who are dwelling in him. He was concerned about the house of God, not as the building, but as the people of God. And so he was willing to take on the wrath of those people who had been wrathful towards God for the sake of building up the church, for the sake of sanctifying the church, for clearing out the clutter, clearing out the the sin. He was willing to go to death for that. And that's the attitude we're to have, Paul is saying. Is we're to be able, we're to, to have such a desire for the, the the people of God, and 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 to bring people into the kingdom that we're willing to die for them, we're willing to give up of ourselves, instead of murdering relationships and hurting others, we'd rather hurt ourselves, hurt our own pride, hurt our own our own um, uh, 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 getting ahead of life, whatever it takes. We're willing to put it aside in order to help others. And that's what we're to do. So, <laughs> I laugh at this because I never get this right, this passage where he says, but only a word such as building, good for building up as it fits the occasion that may give grace to hear. What's he telling us to do? Don't be those who are in a hurry to talk. James talks about that. Be quick to, be slow to speak and quick to listen. All right? That is so hard for me. I'm sorry. I'm quick to act, quick to, to respond. I, 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 I don't like to say this out loud to you guys, but I, I like to be heard. I, and there's a lot of people I find that like to be heard. And we kind of compete with each other. And do you ever do that when you're, you're listening to someone else, and you're, you're kind of half listening, you're kind of thinking about what you're going to be saying next, you know? And there's always those people that are pretty obvious about that. I got a couple of friends that you start into a story, and all of a sudden the story becomes about them, about what they've done. And it's really good. It really, it really makes me feel better about judging them when I do it. Oh, I would never do that. But I do that. I'm always thinking. I'm not saying it out loud. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. No, we're not to do that. We're to be people that really listen, to to choose our words carefully, responses carefully, and, and, and that's when times are good and when times are bad. When something, somebody says something that hurts us, we don't hurt back. That's not who we're to be. I mean, yeah, we feel better right away, but not in the long run. That's not who we're to be because we just added to that destruction, to that relationship. 
Would it be those that stop and think and, and, and say, and ask the Lord, what, what, what am I supposed to say here? And we'll also be prepared. That's the other thing. It's not just we stop in the moment and say, hold on a second, before I continue, I'm going to pray and I'll ask God what I'm to say. No, we're supposed to be so immersed in the Word of God that we know what we're to say. We're, we're to have the right words to say to, that fit the occasion, Paul says. So we're to be thoughtful people. We're to, to be um, people that thoughtful when we speak. We're to choose those words carefully, but all for the good of others, he says, so that it may give grace to those who hear. And that's not just what we do, but that's... I'm sorry, that's not just who we are, people that speak only what is good enough, but good for building up, but that is what we do. We're to give grace for those who to hear. And that's our last section. So the problem here is not what we're saying. There's something behind what we're saying. Can you think about what is it behind what we're saying? What Jesus says, if you look in the in the your your, your outline. Well, let me first before you say that, Paul 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 gives us a clue here in the in um, he, he, in verse 29, he says, let no corrupting talk come from you. He's looking at the talk itself. But then later on, in verse 31, um, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He now has changed the focus from what we say to who we are. And, and what he's saying is the corruption that comes out of your mouth comes from within it comes from the anger and, and the bitterness that's w- welling up within you. And that's just expanding on what, or expounding on what Jesus said in um, Matthew 12, 34 35. Jesus says, For the, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the, his evil treasure brings forth evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's where the real problem is, is our hearts. There needs to be a heart change, a mindset change. We can't change our behavior with that, really without changing our hearts. If all I were to do to you today is say you just need to work better on, on, on how you talk and to choose the words you say to make the, the, the conversation go better, all I've done is given you actually the tools to be a, a better person, a, a better dominator. Um, a, 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 let me put it this way. Husband and wife are, are having conflict. Um, uh, the, the, the wife uh, you know, says something. The husband gets upset. And the wife maybe comes back and says, you, you never listen to me. You never listen to what I say. Well, if you were to take this passage we're looking at on the surface, you can say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose my words carefully. I, I'm, I'm thinking of how I can win the conversation, how I can win the argument. Okay, I'll listen to you because I want to know what your real problem is so I can justify myself and sh- show you where you're wrong. But that's not who we're to be. We're to be people that have a heart change of grace that says, okay, I want to listen so I know what I'm doing wrong. And you probably guessed that's kind of how my relationship has been going with my wife over the years, is it's a constant battle of trying to, to become a person that isn't trying to justify how I was right, is to understand 
where I was wrong and understand where she was right and, and, and what it is that is bothering her or what it is I need to, need to do to become a better husband or what it is, more importantly, I need to do to help her become a better wife and a better mother and a better Christian and a better friend to others because isn't that my job as a husband? Is to give myself up for her? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might present her with in all her glory. That's our, call. that's our call for each other. Paul is not just saying that's only the husband's responsibility. That's everyone. That's the wife's responsibility for the husband. Help the husband be the, the best possible husband and father and, and, and leader and, and, and employer or employee that he could possibly be in the, in the, in the them together to, to allow their children to be the best that they can be. Paul Tripp calls the raising of children um, the responsibility for, for parents raising children, he, he calls it, we're to, to, to build, we're to build, oh, he talks about the, the building of, of fences, of, 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 of uh, rules and, and, and all, for the purpose of building workrooms of grace. That's what he calls raising kids, is, is working, uh, raising, working in workrooms of grace. We're to be preparing them for the future so that when they step out, step out, they are prepared for the next phase of the life, and the next, and the next, so at some point they may end up being a leader in the church, starting a, a, a church from a backyard like he experienced in his home decades ago. That's the attitude we're to have, that's the heart change we're seeing, but it's something that we can't do ourselves, and again, there's another passage that's looming over this whole section that that kind of contrasts that one about the devil, don't give the devil an opportunity, and it's this one. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's what's to drive us. Instead of being driven by Satan, we're to be driven by the Holy Spirit. We're to be driven by the one who has sealed us, who has redeemed us, who is moving us toward that day of redemption. Who is, that means he's changing us. He, he, he is, his desire is to see us become more and more like, like the Son of God. That's His task. That's His purpose in giving us His Word. That's His purpose in, in working the Word of God in us. That's His purpose in praying for us as we pray, as we, as we struggle with life. He's, we do not know how to pray, Paul says in Romans 8, but, but the Holy Spirit prays for us in, in groanings too deep for words because we don't know how to pray as we ought. He's praying for us. His desire to see us change. And so whenever we work against Him, whenever we put on the clothing of, of Satan and the world, we're we're putting, we're, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Is we work together with Him. We seek His help. We pray. So He's given us three main things, quite a few things, but three main things, right? In, in the Christian life, so to change us, He's given us, He's given us the Word of God, which we're to be immersed, the study of the Word of God. He's given us prayer, and he's given us the fellowship of believers. He's working in and all three through all three of those things. He's the one that that energizes all those things. He's the one that gives life to all those things. He gives life to the Word of God. The Word of God can do nothing in us apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, prayer really is not effective at all unless it's energized and brought to the Father by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Himself, who also intercedes for us. And the church is to be given to 
us, the believers, want you uh, have been given to each other as a gift from, from God. And that's the whole, this whole passage, right? Ephesians 4, for the building up of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is doing that in and through us. That's who we're to be. That's We're not those who tear down. We are those who are to speak what is good for building up, and we're to do it in order to give grace to those who are here, not just to each other, but also to all those around us. We're not to stop at the relationships we have with the church. Yes, that's what's really in view here, is the church should be harmonious, and we should work on these difficult relationships, not shy away from the problems and the difficulties, not do tit for tat, but we should rather step back and try to encourage one another and find where the problems are. But we also do that with believers in the world. I'm sorry, uh, unbelievers in the world. All those relationships that we come across that we want to shy away from, we want to come kind of cloistered in the church ourselves. We know we're to go out and we're to have the same attitude. Because remember, when Christ found us, when when Christ would, would it, this last section, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, when Christ forgave you, you were not a member of the church. When he was tender-hearted to you, you were not a member of the church. When he was kind to you and he was forgiving of you, you were not a member of the church. But every slander that you spoke against him, every hurtful thing that you did that took glory from him and tore down um, his work, he forgave you of that. He invited you in. Remember, he says, Come to me who all are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's where who we're to be emulating. That's who we're to be putting on. That's who we're to become. Anyone in the world can have bitterness, anger, malice, be short-tempered, because those are characteristics of our fallen nature, which is energized by Satan, informed by Satan, and used by Satan. Only those redeemed by Christ, given a new nature by God, can truly be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. And Paul is calling us to live according to that new nature for the sake of Christ and for others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we do pray that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit but we would be those uh, who work together uh, with each other, uh, those who seek the Word of God, uh, and those who pray that we would be changed, conform more into the image of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, uh, and in whose name we pray. Amen.